All right, welcome to the UDP podcast. Today we're doing our first ever in-person episode. Uh, very excited. And um, Mac is in Austin, so he's uh, getting ready to open that location over there. So he's not able to join us. So it'll be me and Dana Dahlquist today in my office here in Orange County. Welcome. Thank you. Appreciate you coming in. Um, we've known each other for a while now. Yep. So excited to have you finally on the podcast. There's a lot of exciting things going on in your career. Uh, there's a lot we can get into that's going on right now. You're coaching Bryson. But why don't we go back and talk a little bit about you know where it all started. How did you get into coaching and why? Yeah, so I would say kind of the cliff note version of how I got into coaching was relating to myself. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a swing nerd. I, I think if we were to relate, if I was not a golf teacher, I'd probably be occupying my time on golf forums, um, specifically in the golf swing area. And the reason being, um, in the, in the beginning, I was trying to solve, uh, in my own way, uh, a way that I could actually play better and hit the ball and strike it better. The issues that, um, I kind of found is I was handicapped by my knowledge base essentially. So, you know, you start to seek out information and um, things that made sense. And that kind of jumped me into like the macro Grady world of things. Mm. So that was kind of like the late nineties or so. And actually um, here in Southern California, Bobby Laskin was like the guy who was with Mac. And um, along with him was another guy, Terry Okura no longer in the golf, uh, industry. Um, so if de facto fast forward, um, got into teaching, uh, around 2000, 99, 2000, something like that. How old were you then? Oh my gosh. I'm 46 now. So it's been a while. Yeah. So um, gosh. 22 or something like yeah, that. 22, 23. Yeah. 22, 23. Yeah. That was and about do you, did you work with Bobby and Mac or? Uh, no, no. So I did do from them. Yeah, I learned from them. So yeah. I did do some stuff, some junior stuff with Bobby, um, at Buena Park teaching center. Mm. Um, that was like a summertime thing. Um, nothing really exclusive, but I didn't really get into teaching until like full time until I was at Hartwell. So Hartwell was like the first thing where it's interesting, you know, People go, well, how would I get into teaching? Well, I don't know. I opened up the golf shop at five o'clock in the morning, you know, every day. Yeah. And then taught in the afternoon until dark and did that pretty much six days a week. Mm. And um, I think the biggest thing between now and then is there wasn't any social media um, per se. I think YouTube came out in 2005 maybe, but um it was just standing on the range, hitting balls, talking to people and kind of the old school way of yeah. doing things. Video video. I did. Uh, yeah. I videoed from day one. Yeah. Um, and that kind of at the time set me apart a little bit, mm. I guess you'd say, um, because other people weren't doing that. Mm. But, um, the thing that really kind of le- like created a lot of synergy. And I just talked about this the other day with, um, some people I, started hosting stuff online on photo bucket and this mm. was around 2003 and four photo bucket. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then I it's would like a webinar type of, yeah. Yeah. Um, like a hosting site yeah. basically. Um, and so I'd have my students go onto photo bucket through a free, uh, we call it an inform 
like, uh, I guess you'd, you'd call like a website. Yeah. Um, but it was free for anybody to get on. Well, what happened is people started passing that around, mm. watching videos of my students. And then all of a sudden it became like a forum. Yeah. And that forum got traction, got, you know, 2000 people on there and wow. they're from all over the world. Um, and then right around that time, that's when YouTube came out. So YouTube came out next. I didn't really do the Rick Shields thing, like yeah. put all that content out there. I'm, I am a little bit um, more introverted in a way, and I like teaching. So yeah. um, I'm not good on the camera. So uh, at least I think I'm not. Were you Mac O'Grady, you know, philosophy at this time? Or? Yeah, 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 yeah. Up through like I was. Um, excommunicated uh i don't want to sound like a john wick movie but um like 2005 around that time and so during that time you know that was the same time that mike and andy were also kind of out of the program and they started stack and tilt so i did that with them for another two years or so wow and this is 2006 2006 seven yeah and then um you know i kind of you know, went on my own way around that time, around 2007, eight. Yeah. So, um, and not that that transition going from stack and tilt to kind of, you know, making your own version of, yeah. So like, I still do that stuff. Like, so if I have an amateur player who doesn't move well and, um, you know, you kind of, you can, you can use that model for sure. You use it as a tool. Correct. Yeah. For a certain player. Correct. And, and stack and tilt was kind of piggybacked off the Morad stuff yeah. and which was multiple patterns, um, yeah. some better than others. Some have limitations, some don't, uh, I mean, everything has a limitation, but, yeah. um, it kind of gave you a, uh, a toolbox that you could reach towards. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting because all this information that's, that is presented today is somewhat a rehash of the past. It's just a better explanation. Yeah. Because if you look at black and white video, you can kind of look at ground force plates and go, oh, well, that's what that guy's doing. Now, you can't measure it yet because we don't have the systems necessarily. I mean, we have AI now that's pretty darn good. Yeah. But um, it can't really pick up like you pushing in the ground standing there, right? Yeah. It, you just can't see that. Um, but we can kind of see movement. So, um, and then we just fast forward to from then to now, um, you know, it's kind of an accumulation of everything. You know, I, I've tried to do the best at not being um, malleable as a coach. I want to, I want to continuously get better, experiment, fail. Um, I think that's not only relatable to other coaches, uh, yeah. especially younger coaches, yeah. where it's like, hey, these are the mistakes I made. Yeah, um, I don't want you necessarily to do them. Um, but sometimes you need to, because that's what you learn. And, um, so it's been kind of an interesting journey where, um, you know, I think the collective of golf as a whole is starting to come together. I know you and I talk a lot about fitness and, and a lot of your guys that you work with. Um, I love talking to them because they're kind of the same way. They're like, well, Hey, look, you know, we're learning this about how the feet work, how the ankle works, how the hips work, um, this therapy. Yeah. It's kind of the same thing. And stuff moves so fast now, information, yeah. it goes viral. Yeah. 
And um, it allows you to kind of bring it in and go, okay, is that based off my experience? Have I experienced this before um, in the last 25 years of coaching? Yeah. Um, did I look at it properly at that point? And can I look at it again and maybe make a different objective opinion? Yeah. You know, I don't know. Um, but that's how I tend to base myself or at least say I do um, in coaching now. It's interesting if we go back to that time, 2006, 7, 8, Trackman mm, yeah. was started to come out. Right, That was a huge revolution, really. Huge. And yeah. I mean, you got video and then Trackman. Those are two big points yep. in golf. Mm -hmm. um, did that change your coaching at all? Like, Because we learned basically what club dynamics and ball dynamics and ball flight. Like, yeah, we learned a lot throughout mm -hmm. those, those years. Yeah. That's why I said like some patterns work and some don't because, um, I was teaching a 2d pattern, which was quote unquote, trying to be on plane. Yeah. And then, um, ironically it didn't take account of angle of attack, right? Mm. Cause we couldn't measure that. Now, yeah. That's just one metric. There's others, yeah. but um, we also have delivery of like vertical swing plane, which would be like on track men swing plane yeah. and HSP, which would be swing direction. So, um, when we understood the D plane and guys like James lights and Manzella and, um, Joe Mayo were predominantly putting information out on the D plane. Yeah. Um, it educated the masses that the importance of that. Now, the big thing with me, um, just to take that a step further was launch and spin relative to your speed. Yeah. So yeah, if you're 118, you could hit level on a golf ball and you could quote unquote hit down on a ball if you want, maybe a degree and a half. Yeah. Um, we're not saying hit up five, you know, unless you go into long drive world yeah. or your Rory McIlroy who, who does. Um, but for the average player out there um, who, who lacks speed and you've maxed out their capability of creating yeah. speed maybe hitting up two degrees isn't such a bad idea. Yeah. Um, and so my model at the time was based off zero and now it's fluctuates. Yeah. Like I have some guys, like I have a tour player that right now I try to keep him around level yeah. um, just cause he absolutely murders it. Then I have one guy who absolutely murders it, who hits up three, Yeah. but based off their pattern, what works best. Yeah. So it's not a one size fits all conversation. It is crazy to think about how much, you know, we got out of that, right? Like you could have had a player, you know, pre-track man, not really understanding exactly. I mean, I think we had an understanding what was going on, but right. with track man data, you could maybe get someone 15 yards longer, just learning attack angle and spin, right? Correct. Yeah. Because we Correct. understood now what creates the longest shot. Right. Right. Um, so it's kind of crazy to think about because it's normal now to know spin rate. Sure. But sure. early 2000, right. there wasn't right. anything like that. Right. Yeah. And I think it's a combination too. Like, um, you know, on the PGA Tour, which is essentially almost a different sport. I mean, you know, like you guys have Colin who is like an outlier ball striker. Yeah. <laughs> um, but these guys are so good. Like they go to a, a tournament, let's say it's the US Open. And you have one guy who goes, well, I'm just going to send it, i.e. Rory McIlroy and, and Bryson, yeah. right? They hit the driver and they hit it so good they can hit it as hard as they want and yeah. they know it's going where they want it. Yeah. And then conversely, you have a high-speed guy also who I feel uncomfortable, so I'm going to hit level on this thing and just get it out there. 
because yeah. the fairway is 30 yards wide. Yeah. Like there's two different ways to do it. Um, it's not, there, it's not such a situation where, where it's as heavy handed as, well, this is the way it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Well, that actually flips over when you look at the average on the LPGA tour, which is most demographic that I teach on an amateur level has the same speed. So yeah. if somebody's swinging 90 miles per hour and you're telling them to swing level and they're going to go play LA North. Yeah. Well, good luck. Cause you're not going to hit it anywhere. Yeah. But if they hit two up on it, that gives them that extra 15 yards yeah. and, and that might be a better option. Yeah. Um, but like I said, like there is a little bit of wiggle room, I think, um, as long as there's a firm understanding what that wiggle room is. And yeah. um, it doesn't mean you need to change your golf swing to accommodate. It's maybe an aim bias or a ball position bias. But yeah. um, but that's that's the big piece with track, man. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting. We talked about, you know, you going through evolutions of your coaching career, right? Mm-hmm. Like stacking tails on these things. And I think what you said was is pretty important we have to go through learning experiences and mm-hmm. making mistakes and failing. And if you don't do that, you probably end up very uh, rigid mm-hmm. and with a close mindset mm-hmm. with maybe very strong preferences and you mm-hmm. don't really yeah, go, you know, uh, beyond that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important for, for players to know that's listening to is, you know, just because a coach is implementing a new concept or philosophy. It doesn't mean that they're less credible. Sure. You know, yeah. I think, it, you know, golf is an incomplete science. Yeah. Coaching is an incomplete science. Fitness is too. Uh, the medical field is too, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, when you talk about, uh, you know, athletic uh, sports medicine, mm-hmm. um, nutrition is completely like, there's zero universal truths in, yeah. in, uh, in nutrition science. So that, that is annoying for people. Yeah. Right. Because we want to know, Hey, what's the panacea? Like, yeah, there must be just like a pill I can take. Yeah. But unfortunately that's just not how it works. Yeah. No, I think it's a constant relative test. You have to run, um, weekly or monthly. I mean, it's funny you say food because like I find myself constantly like testing on that and seeing what works better, what makes me feel better. Oh, this doesn't work good. Um, but it's like that with everything. Um, I think, you know, a couple of your guys that I've talked to, you know, Ryan's one of them. I enjoy talking to him a lot because he, he always brings me up swing questions related to works, like what he's working on with guys. Yeah. And, um, and then I go, well, now I have to think about that from his side and it puts me down a rabbit hole, but which is interesting because I look at my own deficiencies and my own physical capabilities over, over the years. Like I, I like to work out. Yeah. Uh, I enjoy it. Um, but you know, I have this whoop strap on because I'm testing my cardio for a reason. Yeah. Um, and then also, you know, you look at it the same from the golf side, you're like, okay, well, am I hitting it straighter metrically? Yeah. You know, we were talking about track, man. Like you can measure these, these things. Yeah. Um, and then, so if I'm working on something for amount of time, if I'm not seeing improvement and I'm actually seeing like I'm stagnated or regression, am I going down the right road? So I think it's a, the, the constant testing of what you're doing is, um, gets you not only out of the rut that people get into, 
because yeah. um, I see it on the driving range. You know, guys hit the same clubs every day, and maybe they make it a social affair, and that's fine. Yeah. But um, from the competitive side of things, um, and maybe that's just the nature of the human doing it. Um, you know, it's a constant test that needs to be taken. You know, yeah. I mean, I think PJ Tour and LPJ Tour is a perfect example. Of that it's a weekly test. You know, yeah. Am I making the score? Yeah. So, um, yeah, you have to look at it from that 360 degrees, which, you know, players now are pretty darn good at. Yeah. I usually talk to the team when we talk about art of coaching. To me, it's like a you're you're refining your biological algorithm. Mm. So, you know, how many scenarios have you seen in your 25 years of coaching? Yeah. Thousands and thousands and thousands of different scenarios. Yeah. All yeah. right, here's a 34-year-old guy that hooks the ball. Yeah. Okay, now I go to that framework. Yeah. You know, we work in mental models. Sure. Right? And we, okay, 34, male, hooks the ball, yeah. has a lot of speed. Now you go to that mental model, you go to that framework, and you go through hundreds of, of scenarios with that exact yeah, or, or very similar uh, situation. And then you as a coach have to have a really good algorithm to go, this drill worked well here, but not here. And mm-hmm. then try an, a trial and error, right? Yeah. Um, but that's why I think it takes so long to become good. Yeah. Yeah. That algorithm needs to be super advanced. Yeah. And it's also like a conviction side of things where it's interesting because I guess it's a word of mouth thing too. Like, okay, like I want to sound arrogant here at all. Cause you know, in reality I teach at a public course, but <laughs> it's nothing fancy, but yeah. um, at least there is a certain amount of people when they book a lesson, they kind of know like, okay, they're, they're at least going for a golf swing answer. That's going to be driven through some level of conviction. Like that's, that's a good thing. Yeah. There's not, there doesn't mean there isn't a amount of people that come in that, that, that are unsure, you know, and I'm sure it's the same thing in the fitness world. You know, um, I'm overweight. I'm not flexible. Uh, my cardio is not good. I don't move well. Um, where do we go first? Yeah. You know, like which, which one do we spearhead first? Um, and in the reality of it, it's like, well, let's just build a routine first, <laughs> you know, like you don't have yeah. to tax something, but like build a routine. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, and I talked to a lot of young coaches about it. They, they want to take the first step properly forward. Um, and I will say this is a good thing about social media too, is that the first step forward is just putting yourself out there and make those mistakes. Yeah. Because if you don't do them, you're not learning. You got to get the reps in, right? hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. So I think, you know, and on my side of this industry, and I just say it like that just because I'm so linear golf specific. Every good coach from that are the biggest names out there, whether it be Sean Foley, Mark Blackburn, um, you know, Butch Harmon, they've all had the same type of situation. They've dealt with it differently. And obviously their personality is attached to that and it resonates to those individuals. Mm -hmm. Um, And that makes them authentically them. So, um, you know, I, I've not tried to become a David Ledbetter. I just tried to become a Dana Dahlquist. Yeah. Um, and, and that big piece that I presented earlier about still being flawed is very, very important because that's what keeps you learning. Yeah. 
Yeah, having a beginner's mindset is so key. And it's a superpower because you never stop. Yeah. You never stop yeah. learning. Yeah. This is a, a question that I love that I ask all coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was talking to Chris Como last week at Riv. And we, we were talking about just the, the longer we do this, you know, the more you realize it's basically end of one mm-hmm. every yeah. time. Yeah. I, th- I do think that there's a time and place to think about if you had a thousand golfers and you could never communicate to them, mm-hmm. what would you give them? Mm. Well, what's the prescription? Mm. I think that's a good thought experiment because yeah. we might get closer to, to, to some universal truths. Yeah. But in your mind, are there any universal truths in golf coaching? Like, is there a one thing that you can tell a thousand golfers that would improve a majority of them? Well, okay. So the one thing that's pretty congruent across the board is that there it's an interesting diagram. You have a beginner player who's not making contact to a tour player who's hitting the center of the face every time. Yeah. I mean, just that in and of itself is a skill. Um, that skill takes time and repetition. Now, how you do that is per argument, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my way is very hardcore, like, you know, more addy in a way. It's like, well, here's the radius, here's the center, blah, blah, blah. Okay, I get that. But there's some guys that stripe the ball who don't do that very much. And yeah. they're moving all over the place. Yeah. So um, what's the best way to do that? Well, try to do that. At the end of the day, yeah, like just yeah. try to do that and don't try to do all the other things that you see on TV. Yeah. Just focus on that because when those little kids are learning, that's what they're trying to do. They're just trying to hit that spot, hit that spot, hit that spot. Hit You're talking ball. about basically striking the ball in the just center of the club center face. of face. Like you just do that in and of itself. How you do that you just depends. I have my, you know, my way of doing it currently um, that I've probably been doing for 25 years, but um, that kind of satisfies that piece um, to a point because you can kind of overdo that too. Mm. You, know, you have, you do need to have some movement at some point. Yeah. Um, especially when the skill goes up, but um, if you can handle it. So, so your simple answer is striking the ball in the center. Yeah. First. That's it. And that's um, so interesting because I mean, and you know, listeners might think, well, duh. Yeah. Um, you know, can you not come up with something better than that? But right. <laughs> it's kind of like, and, 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 you know, I'll be honest, like even just, um, you know, cause I think deeply about these things and I'm not a golf coach, mm-hmm. um, but I love golf performance in general mm-hmm. and just love thinking about it. And, um, it, quite recently this, I've come to the same conclusion, you know, cause you can talk about low point being somewhat a consistent, but then you have some exceptions there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Tiger not taking much divot, you know, best mm-hmm. iron player of all time. Yeah. I don't know what his low point is, but um, it's it's probably not seven inches in front of the ball. No, no, um, no. And so, you know, and so striking the ball in the center of club face sounds like, okay, but how, but, that that in and of itself can be such a important journey for any amateur golfer. Mm-hmm. And there's so many different ways to work on that, mm-hmm. but doing that and actually not caring about how it looks yeah, and just finding the center of the club face is such a important piece to, to golf. Yeah. Um, because you could be hitting the center of the club face and slice the ball. That's okay. 
Yeah. Keep hitting it. Yeah. Keep hitting it. Like it doesn't matter how you look yeah. or where the ball goes. If you strike in the center of the club face, you're going to get better probably. Yeah. Do you agree with that? Yeah. hundred percent. Because that I, I've list out, I might tell this very redundantly to everybody, but I create like a hierarchy where, okay, if you can make contact to the golf ball, then you have a pretty good way to control your start line and then you can yeah. control the curve and then you can add the power to it. Yeah. It doesn't go any other way. So when a lesson comes in, it goes, well, I'm, you know, slicing the golf ball, but every third ball is thin and fat. Yeah. It's like, well, that's not your biggest issue. Yeah. You take care of the contact. That start line gets better already. 100%. Oh, by the way, like your path is less left. Now we can move that resulting path more right. Oh, now you're not slicing, you're hitting draws. Yeah. But um, and that's pretty much what happens weekly uh, to most, you know, amateur players. Um, you know, tour players can stand on their head. Um, and Psychologically, it's a huge effect too, right? Because when you hit it in the center of the club face, even if you're hooking it, it feels good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And you right. get some confident. Yeah. It never feels like, oh, this is a poor quality shot. Right. Right. Because of where the ball goes, center right. contact, you're like, oh. Yeah. And so, and uh, so what, what you mentioned, your go to way of working on it. Mm-hmm. What, what is that? Well, generally, like, so I know we have, you know, 3D now, which I use a lot, um, but still in the 2D mindset is telling a person, like, okay, what is relatively your low point anyway? So the low point of the swing is generally the left shoulder if you're right-handed. So the axis of turn is relatively like the center of your sternum. Okay. So just from a 2D perspective. So as you move through time and space and you have somewhat of a centered golf swing. Okay. And yeah, if you're a better player, you're probably going to move a little bit. Um, That left shoulder moves back and down and then down back to that, that radius again might be lower and that gets the handle more forward if you Mm -hmm. rotate around. So just kind of having that understanding that that left shoulder is somewhat the radius of your circle. Yeah. It's like, Oh, then I won't shift five miles to the right or I won't go down and left too fast because then I'm going to back away from it. So they start understanding like, Oh, I know how to get back to that point every time. Mm. Um, It's hard to illustrate just verbally, but that's kind of the idea. Mm. Um, So you do look at the movement. You don't set up a, you know, constraint drill that, forces mm. them to figure it out themselves. Not necessarily. I mean, yeah. maybe like a pitching model a little bit, but that does run its course. You mm. know, when you start getting to longer clubs like that falls apart. Um, and it's interesting because demographically we need to know who we're dealing with. There is a benchmark. If I'm dealing with a good college player or a good athlete, they have ability to break forces pretty well and create some movement. Yeah they can actually be centered looking, but create a lot of force right to left. Um, that's a different animal. Whereas the average guy, and I look at myself right now as the average guy, cause I'm not playing golf, but um, limiting those things is probably a good thing for that contact. Um, now obviously I've been playing golf forever, so I can manage even if I'm not mm-hmm. um, being in that position or, you know, it's funny if we went a step further, um, why is that important? Well, you look at, guys that are good at short game, right? So the best mm-hmm. in the world. They're pretty good at redundantly doing the same thing if you're in that top 60 in the world, zero to 60. But that top 2%, I'm not. I'm just making that number up, by the way. I didn't, yeah. you know, I didn't study this, but yeah. 
what do you notice about the outliers like the Brett Rumfords of the world um, yeah. and those guys is they have more variation. They have more confidence and variation of hitting different shots. Yeah. Um, and that's what you see with on the best players in the world, Tiger Woods being one of them. He had numerous shots, even, even Nick Faldo. Yeah. Yeah. He had different iron shots mm-hmm. for more control. Yeah. So um, now the average PJ tour player might have some of that, yeah, but not quite that level where it's like, well, I'm going to hit a high bomb two iron. Yeah. And then I'm going to hit a stinger then I'm going to hit a soft cut and then I'm going to hit a, an overdraw. Yeah. It's like, okay, that takes a huge skill set to do that. Um, do you think that's, I mean, if we compare it to racing a car mm-hmm. and, in order to get better, we have to really learn how to get around the corners. Sure. But sometimes we basically only focus on going on straights. Yeah, Trying exactly. to just, uh, you know, the regular stock sh- chip shot. Correct. Yeah. Uh, but in order to get really advanced and, you know, uh, sophisticated, we need to learn the, the most extreme shots. Yeah. To make the easy shots look easy. Correct. Yeah. And I think that's one, like, hurdle that, um, young players today, I don't see a lot of because it's so power based. Um, where you know Tiger had power, obviously nuked it when he was a kid, but um, he also realized at some point through his development, you know, it's kind of like the thing where he's like just plopping the ball and hitting it on the club face a bunch. Yeah, like there's that dexterity of yeah. feel, but having that um, in your toolbox congruently across the board with all your different shots is kind of a, a neat thing. Um, and yeah. I don't know if equipment's helping or not in that regard anymore because the ball curved more back in the day. But um, it's something that's kind of special when you watch, you know, an elite ball striker. I think Shuffler is a good example of this where, you know, pin on the left and he draws it in and pin on the right and he cuts one in yeah. and hits one high, hits one low. And, you watch him do it and you're like, wow, that's pretty impressive. You know, that he has that variation. I don't, yeah, I don't, I still don't understand him. Like, I, I, do you understand how his club face control specifically? I think it's exactly what we just said. I think he's an outlier, right? Yeah. So like we could, we could take a picture of him and go, oh, well, at P3, his arm is here. You know, that makes him good. It's like, okay, well, yeah, but then at P4, it does this, yeah. <laughs> you know, it does something different. And so, but I think it comes down to the fact of um, he's got a good synergy around him. I think Ted's a big piece too. Yeah. Um, But a good team around him that enforces how good he is. And then he's able to um, live in that mindset of like, I can do whatever I want. Um, Whereas if a coach like me goes, well, do you like my backswing? I go, oh, it could be here. Well, that's a negative response. Mm. That's not a positive. Yeah. Um, But if you have a guy like him who's striping it and you go, how, how's it look? Well, yeah, you're striping it. Yeah. I don't care. You just, you're flagging it right now. Um, And I think that criticism might actually be leaking into like his putting, Like Last week Mm. we were talking about his putting. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah, but there's 10 guys that putt like that and they're making putts. Yeah. So just make the putt. Yeah. It doesn't need to be that, you know, you're a tour player. Yeah. So um, now if we're talking about a 15 handicap that's not making putts, 
yeah, try this out. This will work. And how's it look? Looks great. And then just leave him alone for six months. If he keeps doing it, he's probably gonna make more putts. Yeah. Maybe that's the, the objective. Yeah. I don't know. But, um, I think at this point we have very linear solutions for a complex problem that has to have a better answer. And Scotty Scheffler is kind of the epitome of that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, it is helpful information for amateurs out there. I remember growing up playing, we would just, we would spend all day on the golf course because in Sweden, you know, we, we only had the summers essentially. And so we would just be there, you know, 16 hours right. uh, straight and just get dropped off in the morning. And then, you know, it doesn't get dark until 11 o'clock right. in Sweden <laughs> in the summer. So we would, you know, just 36 holes, a day, like just, but we would also like, you know, on the chipping green, we would just do the weirdest shit, you know, yeah. go up and chip off a rock and then chip, you know, over a tree and do these things. And I think, do you think that that's really helpful for amateurs to start to do, even if you're maybe not that good because you need to understand, you know, the extremes? Yeah, I think. Um, and and by the way, the last comment on that is like, I remember chipping as a junior. I never had any fear. Yeah. Just I would go for the flop and I wouldn't worry about hitting it, you know, right. short in the bunker. Now I'm like, ah, you know, because I haven't played around like that. Right. In, you know, 15 years. Yeah. And well, yeah, the, the good um, the good short game guys are like that. I know um, you guys have on staff here um, Bo Hostler, And Bo, Bo's definitely like that. He's very um, – just watch him. I mean, I've never told him anything ever short game-wise because he's an outlier. But, yeah, like, he, in a practice round, hits three different shots sometimes the same location. Yeah. Why? Well, he's seeing variants, right? Yeah. And that sharpens the skill. Yeah. And um, I'm not saying like you don't have one that you fall back on. Yeah. You know? You're into the grain at Isleworth and, and it's muddy. I mean, okay, I'm going to, I don't care what you say. I, I'm going to shove that handle forward and try to make yeah. contact. But um, when, when you don't have anything on it and you're like, oh, like that worked, I'm going to try that again. Yeah. That worked. I'm going to try it again. So it gives you some variation, and um, I I think a lot of players now are so focused on doing something so right that they lose the ability and the touch that they could be potentially getting. Yeah. Um, so build that into your practice would probably be the answer to yeah. that. So it is more fun too. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, variants can really help with uh, getting better at stock shots, and I sure. think that's maybe the misconception sometimes. Yeah. Um, did you have your mom and dad like stand over you while you're hitting those chip shots? No, <laughs> <laughs> that's another one. <laughs> <laughs> they, were, they were never on the, on the golf course. Yeah. You know, we were just on our own. That's the one thing that I, I kind of see now is that the parents and, and they're great. I mean, they're part of the team Yeah, and the parents have every right cause they have their best interest at heart. But I do see sometimes like, well, I don't like that this chip came up short. Yeah. Like, okay. Like, okay, well then hit the next one where it doesn't like, don't go so far that they lose that outlier ability Yeah, um, where they can hit that crazy spin shot or they can hit a high lob one or even hit a hooky one if you want. Yeah. Um, it's whatever that experimentation takes you to that next level. Yeah. Oh, that's a whole nother topic, right? Yeah. Um, 
there's some uh, there's some uh, father and son you know coaching player mm-hmm. relationships on, on on the PGA tour now mm-hmm. and there has been in the past mm-hmm. and you know um, it's so complicated mm-hmm. to know you know is that good is it bad you know there's so many different examples of of either yeah um from what i've seen so let's just say mike thomas um yeah. and xander's dad ogre um i think what's really neat about those two in particular is um i don't like mike's never told me what justin's ever worked on right? yeah um but he's got a really good understanding of how he ticks um and so far, it's worked great, right? And we can be critical of performance all we want. Yeah, he's on the PGA Tour. He's won majors, and he's he's won. And yeah. he's very capable. And they've made a pretty big adjustment in the last year. Yeah, seems to be working pretty good. Yeah, to be honest. Yeah. So um, that that dynamic looks um, like it works real well, and also with Xander. But yeah. one thing I've noticed is that both Xander and uh, Justin are both A-type personalities and they look like they're the CEO of their business. Yeah. That's the thing. It's not the other way around. Yeah. Um, That's an important piece. That's a huge piece because if they're submissive in that way, um, when it comes to golf, I think then there's a problem. Yeah. Um, but that, that keeps the communication open and sorry, Ogre for saying that, but it's just the (laughs) truth. (laughs) But, um, but I think it's a good um, ogre is Stef- uh, Stefan, which is yeah. Sanders' dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so, and and also like both of those individuals are very positive. I've seen during tournaments, like there's never been anything negative, in my opinion, that I've seen any of them display towards their kids. Yeah. Which well, and Sander is just, I mean, the nicest person. I mean, yeah. and just an incredible guy. Yeah. Um, I'm curious how it is to work with someone like Bryson because, and, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but essentially Bryson is still kind of on a, on a journey towards looking at the swing like a machine, but not only a machine, but a machine that basically has completely locked, you know, angles, basically metal and wood, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> Yeah. And and finding a way to completely eliminate any variance under pressure, mm-hmm. um, you know, is that a is that a good journey? Uh, how is it? Because it must be so unique to work with a player like that, because he has a very uh, you know uh, unique mindset mm-hmm. and the way he looks at the game. Yeah. So um, so he he number one um, has a potential mindset. The first thing that goes on um, when you're around him is you realize that there isn't any, um, and none of them out there really have this at that level, but there's no doubt in his ability. So he knows that if he goes out and plays while he's winning a tournament, yeah, like that's just it. And, and he's not going to let off on the gas. The confidence is there. It's there. Right. So that's the first caveat. Um, when it comes to the mechanics, his mechanics are pretty much there. Um, it's more of a maintained situation. And then we always look at things from kind of two, two areas. We look at it from the angles of his arms, his wrists and whatnot, and then also his body, um, alignments. So like 
turns, tilts, and extension rates. And that's kind of it. So like, it's pretty much there. Yeah. Um, he knows it. Um, I know it. Um, yeah, it, it's now it's just a little bit of like constantly for him testing certain variables um, mm. that like right now it's, we're looking at, okay, you're playing Jediah next week. How's that different from Las Vegas climate wise? Mm-hmm. And then what's that going to do to its ball? Is it going to curve more, curve less? Yeah. Um, like those little factors come into play, but, um, you know, he's done an incredible job with, um, you know, setting the structure up with originally with Mike a lot, who's still involved by the way. Yeah. Um, and you know, making something that's just basically just goes like a wheel repeatable, repeatable and hits it pretty, pretty much one way. Yeah. Um, at all times. Now he can hit the other shots if need be, but you know, he kind of has a mindset of how he's going to play the golf course and this is how he's going to play it. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't be shocked this year if he doesn't win a major cause he mm-hmm. almost won last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously with the other two wins and a couple top tens, it's, he almost won last week. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so he's right there. Um, this game in a, is in a good spot. Yeah. Yeah. A really good spot. An example of this is like, the way he looks at putting, right? Like, he, I don't know if he still does this, but he mm-hmm. basically wanted to figure out how do I eliminate the the possibility of when I'm really nervous under pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, how and and a lot of you know the traditional advice is you know gentle grip mm-hmm. pressure. Yeah, he goes hard. Yeah, to try and say, well, uh, if I'm under pressure and I stiffen up. Mm-hmm. I'm already stiff. Yeah. So it, it won't affect me. Correct. Is that? Yeah, pretty roughly? much. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because like, um, if you ever shot a pistol, it's kind of the same way, you know, you're not loose. You yeah. And to lock everything down. Yeah. And you just point your thumb at where you're shooting. It's good to go. Like that's yeah. kind of the idea. Um, because there isn't like a reaction to that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he's, he's looking at it from that standpoint where things are locked in in place. And then he basically has an energy production number that he's going to hit and he just does it. Yeah. And highly successful. Yeah. But he also tests it. I think the big thing that we go back to is everything that he does is tested and he's the epitome. How does he measure that? He does it on, on a quad. So he, he puts a, he gets the speed of the green mm-hmm. and then he measures the, basically the ball speed, um, with a quad yeah. for the delivery of distance. Got it. And but he doesn't measure his grip pressure or anything like that. No, or, he has. Yeah. He's got the grip pressure sensors yeah. at his house. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, he knows where and which hand and which fingers applying them. Cause I'm sure that's like something that you have to really get used to and work on quite sure. a bit too, yeah. because I, I, I'm not aware of anybody else that have had that strategy putting like right. basically kill the, I mean, white knuckle the, the putter. Right. Is right. it that intense or is it kind of a, well, he's a pretty strong guy. Yeah. Right. So for the average human, you'd go that was a 10. It was like a, it's full activation. Yeah. It's active. Like muscles are on. Yeah. Like, yeah. It would be a 10 to the average human. To him, it's probably like an, an eight, you know, Got it. because he's a pretty strong kid. Yeah. You know, so, um, but also on that, he locks, you know, the angles out 
to enforce, you know, he doesn't go traditional where it allows the wrist to move. Things are actually locked in, so it doesn't. So, uh, and his arc is more upright as well. Do you ever, because uh, I love the the field of a, a, a attentional focus and where the where the athlete is putting their attention, uh, focus, basically mm-hmm. what, what what you can call it um, swing thought, mm-hmm. but how does Bryson look at that? Is he internal? Is he external? What? Very internal. Like, well, like, cause he knows like a picture that's going to occur. This is how I'd paint it. Yeah. He has it wired based off that picture of what that shot's going to do. Uh, a mechanical outcome or an input that he puts into the system. And then he allows that to go. Um, and he's famously said this on other things, uh, even on his stuff, social media, um, that if something's not working, he changes the input. Um, now that's in my mind, flexibility in the system. Yeah. Like he's very flexible with that. Uh, he's not constrained to that. Now the other stuff that he already has in there is constrained unless he chooses to change it, then that becomes flexible again. So it's a good way of putting things kind of together where, we're not doing 20 things. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like everything's the same, but this is a different input. Yeah. Um, and only changing one at a time. Correct. <laughs> so you know what's going on and correct. you can go back. Correct. Yeah. 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 So that, that's kind of the interesting thing uh, with him, you know. Um, but once again, just like Shuffler, he's an outlier. He's a yeah. special individual. But do you feel like, because I, you know, I've studied this field quite a bit and I, you know, Gabrielle Wolf's work that is so available and um, she's, she's, she was a researcher at UNLV and mm-hmm. um, started looking at this in the late nineties. And I just um, think it's probably still under uh, rated a little bit and not looked at enough. We have guys like Dr. Will Wu, who mm-hmm. is, you know, a, a leader in motor learning and skill acquisition mm-hmm that's well aware of it. And, but when I go up and down the range on the PGA tour, not being a golf coach, um, Mm -hmm. but have coached, you know, many years, um, definitely not a tour coach. So Mm -hmm. I I can't judge because I don't know how it is Mm -hmm. out there, but there is a lot of internal cueing, Mm -hmm. uh, for the best players in the world. Mm -hmm. And the research shows that there is a time and place for internal cueing, uh, most of the positive effects have been shown on, on beginners mm-hmm. getting internal coaching, the better the player it gets. And this is in all sports, by the way, they've mm-hmm. looked at it in so many different sports, uh, the better the skill, uh, more effective the external becomes. Yeah. Yeah. But when you go up and down the range, you have a, a, a ton of internal. Yeah. Do you think that's a problem or is it something that, you know, we're missing, uh, or is it, is it effective? It's the industry. Yeah. That's what it is. So like, um, and by the way, just so everyone knows, so internal would be like talking about body parts or body movements mm-hmm. when coaching. So if you yeah. say, if you talk about the hands or the shoulder, basically the research says, and research is the research, right? There's yeah. also, we have to take into account anecdotal evidence. Yeah. It's not, I'm not saying this is, the it but yeah. it shows that you know basically handicaps the the nervous system and only focus on that piece mm-hmm. which now makes the athletic movement as a whole less efficient correct 
and co-contractions happens at the muscle level and um, we, we don't get an autonomous system. Right. Um, so basically any body part talking about body parts or body movements would be a, an example of internal Correct. cueing. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're trying to perform at the highest level and is it a good thing to have Dana Dahlquist on the driver range on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? Probably not. <laughs> okay. I'm being honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably not. And I've said that for quite a few years. Because you're, you're like true to yourself on who you are. Like you're a, yeah. you, you know, you're a swing instructor or a mechanist or. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to point out if you have a question and you see it on video, which is another issue because they can see it on video now and they see something that's variable, they're going to think that is a problem. Right. And then I'm going to have an answer um, because the answer is there. There's an answer. Yeah. Now I've said this. Um, if you look at just. Let's just look at the left wrist, right? Yeah. Because okay, that's all over social media. And I have no problem with ProSender. I have no problem with gadgets or any of those things. Yeah. I think they're fine. Yeah. Um, but there is a level of variance that happens when you look at Adam Scott or Tommy Fleetwood where their left wrist is moving all over the place and they still hit an effective shot. Yeah. So that's where this conversation comes in. Yeah. Like there's an acceptance piece of like, hey, I'm really good. And I can hit this repeatable shot and I don't need the constraints of the mechanics to be the reason for it. Yeah. The athlete piece is the reason for it. Yeah. And um, that loops back to, you know, why I think Tiger is really the best iron player is because he did do things. His, his friend Argent is actually a good example of this. So Argent um, Atwal, if you look at his golf swing, you go, hmm, like you just can't teach that. You know, there's yeah. – like stuff going on and but he's the opposite of that like he is full-on like okay hit a draw hit a cut hit a high hit a low yeah and constantly like creating variation yeah um to bring him to here that he has a feel that he can do but it's based off some visual cue could be a verbal cue it could be um i think like a pitcher hitting to a pitcher um but yeah, that's that's a tough one because, you know, if Dana was on the range week in and week out, yeah, you might you know have nine guys you're teaching on tour. Yeah, but it always lumps right back to that industry standard of these positions because that's what we're seeing like on Instagram. That's what we're seeing. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, exactly. The golf and the pressure is high, right? So, 100%. and and if the player goes, I don't, you know, something's going on, we gotta fix it, right? Yeah. And it's, hey, it's tournament week, I can't be hitting this. Yeah. So there's a lot of pressure. It's it's not easy. And then the coach will go, well, yeah, let's let's work on it. And then you're kind of deep deep in in it. Yeah. And then might might find a fix that week. But then is that sustainable? Is that is there? Re- is that retained over time and things like that. So it's, it's obviously a lot more complicated than just saying, well, you know, you know, we have to look at the swing and say, okay, this is what needs to change. Your wrist needs to be here. Your shoulder needs to be here. We can understand that and process it, but then what's actually going to make it happen and what's going to make it stick. Yeah. And yeah, I think the the best course of action at, that I have now, this might change in a day, but um, 
there's a sample size of golfer that I've seen where they've come in, they've taken a lesson and I've seen them three months later and they fixed it. That's all it was like they, they, yeah. they saw the video of it. They go, okay, I'm going to feel that. Yeah. Well, in some amount of time, they ended up fixing it. Yeah. It wasn't a weekly grind looking at video with me. Yeah. Um, that tends not to work. Yeah. You know, coming in every week, did I fix it? It's like, not still the same. Um, it's kind of like watching your kids grow. You yeah. Know? It's like, oh my God, like they grew, you know, in pictures, right? So, yeah. um, it's, I, I, you know, and I, and I'm not real, this is not where my headspace is at all times, to be honest, but like, I would like to see the industry head that way because I think you'll see better golf. Mm. I really think you will. I think you see um, more guys like Scotty who yeah. um, get out there. I think, you know, I've, I haven't talked to um, Rick or Colin about this, but like, you know, I'm sure when, you know, they, they're in the heat of moment, they're probably operating systems probably like that, you know? Yeah. I think, <sighs> I was talking to Chris Como about this and he basically, his answer is, you know, it depends on where the player is in his development. If it's someone that's in high school that wants to play D1 college golf and they're just not even close, uh, we have to get in there. We got to get internal and it's going to be like a hard road. Sure. And it's going to take years. And if it's someone that's already highly skilled, like it might be more external, but I think a key piece is, not only has it been shown to be better for performance, but learning is better. So meaning if you want someone like if someone is casting and hitting it high and they can't, they can't compress the ball. Mm -hmm. If you put up a, you know, a rope, hit it under the rope is the only cue and you just leave them there for an hour. Sure. The system usually self-organized and you get um, them to figure it out themselves. And then they start compressing the ball Mm -hmm that is also retained better. So Mm -hmm. they know the feel and the system learns the feel. So now they can do that three months from now. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas if if there's a lot of internal queuing research shows that three months later, it's harder for them to recreate it. Sure. Well, you don't get an outcome that you can attach yourself to. Exactly. And that's that's why like, it's kind of like, you know, the language of the body. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's, I think the tricky part is, internal cueing makes sense to our intellect. It's like, Hey, your shoulder needs to be there. Or this is the same in fitness, by the way. And this is how I learned the whole concept is in fitness. Like, you know, if you have a barbell, break the bar, that's an external cue that the body can relate to. I can picture that. I can visualize it and break the bar. Right now, suddenly my exercise form gets better because now I'm engaging my lats and I'm more engaged. Um, or pushing the ground away, right? Yeah. These cues that are uh, external, the body can relate to. Mm-hmm. But saying extend your knee, the intellect understands, right. but the body actually secretly doesn't really understand it. Correct. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, yeah. and that's that's the heart pace because it makes sense to talk about internal. Like, yeah, right. of course. Yeah, my, my elbow needs to be here. Let's work on that right right? well i think the the one that's famously as of late done pretty well at that is wyndham clark so wyndham um doesn't have a coach no and um 
Wyndham's golf swing, let, let me just paraphrase, like his golf swing is awesome. Yeah. Okay. Guy's stripes. But Ellis and him have kind of figured out, uh, and I try to tell this to a lot of people, like he mm. puts a stick down, hits it around the stick. Yeah. Okay. Like, there you go. And yeah. you, there's your pattern. You're good. And it's, a, it's that cue is working. Yeah. Right. Um, and there are, you know, some that might be good, like put a line down because mm-hmm. you, you can't aim well, like put a string down to your target Yeah. and just keep it on one side of the string. Yeah. Like stuff like that. There isn't enough of that. I think it, I agree. It does divulge back to oh, P five, my left arm's too out or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, but what it, what it is very interesting is a lot of amateurs just speaking to the average player for a moment. Yeah. Like they build in aim biases because of that. Mm. Like the aim right or the aim left yeah. because of those cues. Yeah. And don't change it and don't listen to your buddy because, Hey, you know, John, you're aiming 40 yards to the right. Yeah. Will you better or he's yeah. going to miss it? Yeah. So, um, do that through your practice. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens, you know, on the PJ tour in the long run, mm. because, you know, I think that's, you know, I don't know, uh, Dr. Wu real well. I met him twice. Yeah. Um, but I know that stuff is coming to the fray more and more and more. He's getting more involved with some tour players. Yeah. 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 So we'll see what happens. Um, and essentially, Dr. Will Wu is, I mean, he he's big into, you know, designing practice programs as well mm-hmm. because he's an expert in learning. Like, what's mm-hmm. the definition of learning? That's a whole other concept, sure. right? But but in other sports, a lot of the times at the highest level, like in track and field, you might have a biomechanist analyzing and figuring out this is what it needs to look like. Mm-hmm. But that biomechanist is not even communicating to the athlete. Sure. There's a specialist like a like a will who will know how to communicate that to the athlete right and and because the biomechanism the biomechanist is too technical yeah and then the coach need to find the right cue for that athlete and that uh, that obviously hasn't come to golf yet um no it's um i it's it's starting to head that way i mean i have my little line item area that i operate in and, um, I think, I mean, like my relationship with you guys is a good, is a good example of this. Yeah. I don't jump into the fitness world with my opinions. Yeah. I talk to you guys. Yeah. Um, if I'm going to go do 3d on a research level, I'll talk to Phil Cheetah. Yeah. Right. So like it's starting to get more specialized. Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll keep my opinions out of it because that's just not my specialty. Yeah. Um, and I'd also try not to base my opinions off, um, you know, my past experience per se, um, if it's in their realm, like in the fitness realm, yeah. it's like, okay, you know, I was watching Dorian Yates and Lee Haney videos when I was a kid, like lifting weights. I'd probably not. Yeah. So, no, no, and I, I, I got to also say, like, there's a lot of great coaching on the PG Tour. I, I saw a video yesterday of, of Boyd working with Tony mm-hmm. and talking about, you know, how they work together. Like, to me, there's a lot of great coaching, too. Yeah, yeah. You hear um, even Scotty and his coach, like, there's some really great stuff out there. Yeah. Um, but I think, like you're saying, your, your answer was the industry, and I think that's – yeah. 
Yeah, uh, and I'm not. I'm not saying like the guys on the PJ tour. I'm saying the industry itself. Yeah. So yeah, you, you know, if you talk to you know Chris and I have a pretty good relationship. We talk, you know, pretty frequently. I talked yeah. two days ago about um, um, because we kind of get into some weird stuff like sleep study stuff and mm. you know diet stuff. Yeah, Chris but, Como, he, he goes yeah. there everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's that's like we we could talk about that. Yeah. But um. But I think everybody that I've seen as of late on the PGA Tour is very good about being malleable and thinking outside the box. Um, so that characteristically is why they have been on the PGA t- teaching for a long time. Mm, mm. It, it's it's that ability to think, hey, you know, this guy's been on tour playing for three years. He's been struggling well, I've wa- I've watched you evolve from here to there and mm-hmm. have that ability. Yeah. Um, that's like a Scott Hamilton. You know, yeah. he's been out there since I can remember. Yeah. And um the other thing is like the interesting thing with Scott is and guys like him is they all have a good relationship with every player they've ever worked with. Yeah. Like it's never ended badly. Yeah. Um, which is another quality as well. Yeah. Um I think coaches need to understand that too. You know, um, I've least tried to be better at that over the last few decades, but, um, so it's a tough business out there yeah. at the elite level. It's, it's not easy. And, you know, I certainly don't envy, um, you know, being in that situation because it, it is high pressure and you, you really try to do your best and you yeah. want the players to succeed, but it's such a sensitive game. Yeah, you know, and, and, and sometimes it you 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 actually no fault of your own don't have ability to steer the ship in the direction it needs to go. Yeah, and that's fine. Like you got to be okay with that. But as a coach, you're going. You have to balance yourself. Going well, I'm doing really good over here, though. Yeah, you know. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. It's fine. Um, How do you look at um, the mental side and the kind of the the coaching coaching performance coaching or whatever you want to call it um you know being focused on the golf wing what about that element of of motivation and inspiration and pushing the player to believe in themselves more do you venture out and talk to the players about that or do you try yeah. to stay away from that no 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 so i've i've i would say the it's i don't know what happened when i turned 40 but that okay. became a lot easier. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it was like I had enough sample size in my head to go, you know, that's fine. But um, it's interesting also, the older I've gotten talking to guys that are younger, there's some like there's some social structure piece that's in there yeah. that I can't explain. Because when I was in my 20s, I would say it, but obviously from like golf swing mechanics side of things. Yeah. And there was always some pushback. Mm. It was like, there's a lot of it. Well, yeah. now it's like, there's none like mm. in reality, I haven't faced really faced that at all. Yeah. Um, but you know, maybe a little bit, but not, but not really. Um, so as far as like conviction of delivery has been a massive piece to that Yeah. and being, Hey, it's really good. You're going to do really well from here yeah. and just, it's good. Yeah. So that, I don't know if it's from an experience piece um, I don't know if that's a little bit of like a Butch Harmon effect. Yeah. Because if Butch says it, it's gold. Yeah. Um, and, but that comes from that hours and hours and hours and hours of lessons and 
you know, talking to really good players and being around really good players Yeah, where it kind of makes that occur. Yeah. Or if I was just coming straight off the range at El Dorado, not having that background and then saying, Hey, it's fine. They're going to go, are you sure? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, so there's some level of that, but also, um, talking to a lot of guys like Rick or like McCabe and, you know, seeing when a player has the pressure and why. Yeah. Um, and maybe getting a little forethought ahead of time going, Hey, you know, we're going to prep for this thing differently this way. And this is why. Yeah. And then they go, oh, okay, well, I'm not going to be blindsided when I get there. Like mm-hmm. they're going to expect the pressure to be there. Yeah. Whereas other players, I'm going to, and I'm going to tell them, I'm going to say, look, some of these players that are playing this tournament, there's going to be 30 of them. Yeah. that are not going to handle this well, but you're going to know ahead of time how to handle that. Yeah. And if, and if I'm not the person to do that, like here's some people that you could talk to about that. Yeah. So, um, kind of buttoning the hatches ahead of time has been a big aspect of that. Um, and I, I think also with like a lot of my college players, that's a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, because I can see them when, you know, they're very, very, um, they're really big in that, like building stages effect of their life where they're trying to, um, they're trying to get to a position where they can, you know, go to Q school or PGA tour U or whatever. Yeah. And so it's very results driven. Yeah. And I said, well, those results are driven by proper outlook and of everything. It's yeah. not just like, oh, I need to hit the ball better. Yeah. Um, Cause there's a lot of good bra strikers out there, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's just one piece. The mental piece is so important. I think, I mean, Butch was obviously well known for that, just making his players so confident, sure. almost like invincible. And it sounds like maybe, I don't know Claude very well, but it sounds like that's a big cornerstone of his coaching as 100%. well. Like hundred percent. Just incredible at, motivating and inspiring the player and and that's a art form in itself right yeah and i yeah so here here's the thing like when you think of you know we'll use tiger again the tiger effect yeah what is that it's like well that that all that means is that when he goes to the golf course and he steps on the driving range he's the guy to beat yeah now if if everybody on the driving range knows that he's the guy to beat he's already won yeah in his mindset. Yeah. So how do you develop that? Well, you don't do it because your golf swings better or your yeah. putting strokes better. Like yeah. those are just, those are results of him. Yeah. So I, I think not, I think I know that Jack had that and all the other guys that were the greatest had that. I'm mean, Arnie had that. Yeah. And um, that's how you create a formidable aspect. So I think what's interesting now <laughs> It's tough to watch, to be honest, and I really feel for the players is that, like, oh, this player has the yips. Mm-hmm. Like, he played one tournament, he flubbed a chip shot. It turned into a narrative. It's all over yeah. social media. They have a they have a uh, telecast about it. Yeah. And the player's got to cue all that stuff out. Yeah. That's not even real. Yeah. Like, when they had that about Tiger back in the day, it's like, Tiger, that wasn't real. Yeah. He just had a, the wrong input for a minute. He flipped it. He's fine. Yeah. So, um, and now you see it the same with, with some of these players are like, you know, I was like, Oh, this, you know, he's struggling here. And the player's like, I guess I'm struggling. Well, yeah. like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Do you Letting know who you are? Creep in. Yeah. 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 So 
that's that's a tough thing. Um, and you can see that a little bit with Scotty now with with this putting. Yeah, um, that's exactly. Yeah. It's like he's fine. And the more you the more you you know believe it, the 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 realer it gets. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I, I don't think that's going to be an issue um, for him. I'm no. hoping because um, the, the way he hits the ball, um, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> it's, no. it's unbelievable. Well, him and Zalatoris, it's kind of they're kind of the same thing. They both stripe. Yeah. You know, both have different things, but, you know, Zalatoris took a little different action and changed, and he's fine. Kind of like Bernard Longer did the same thing. Yeah. You know, um, and had a highly capable career because of it, if not dominant. Yeah. I, all those things we can learn from. I just, I think we don't need the knee jerk reaction of the public, the public discourse to influence performance. Yeah. It's not healthy. Yeah. And it, it, that's true for amateurs too, right? I mean, the, it's the same, uh, the rumors go in friend, friend groups. 100%. And, you know what I mean? Like in the, in yeah. the Saturday game and, you know, yeah. you, you have to be mentally strong to not let that creep in and affect you and yeah you know it's a fickle game that way yeah a guy guy goes you know they're out of Michelob ultra on the back nine i'm yeah. gonna do blue moon and i shot at 80 normally i shoot 77 yeah. <laughs> like you know so yeah it could be it, it, it could sway us in any different way but yeah it's interesting like i have a question for you um since i've known you this has grown like leaps and bounds right um i've watched the amount of help you've done to not just the regular players, right? That's I, I've seen, you know, young guys, even middle-aged guys, like improve their flexibility, their rotation, their stability is huge. Um, you know, guys that sit all day long in a chair yeah, have stability now and mobility. And then also I watched a transformation of Bo when I was working with Bo. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he went from a guy who, I remember the first eval I was in here and he had trouble single leg sitting on his, with his left foot because he had an arch issue or something to being a pretty capable moving, like looking like an athlete. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying an athlete, like, like a, you know, 1990s era jacked baseball player. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But just like a capable, good moving athlete. And stronger. Um, I think what's interesting is what do you see your side of the industry? Because I, I, this is a true, honest question. Yeah. Where is it going to go, like, in the fitness side? Yeah. I think, you know, it's interesting because, you know, I have to give the team at UGP, a, a, you know, huge credit because I think we're not doing anything groundbreaking, you know, Um I do think it comes down to we care a lot. We we are very passionate about it. And the most important factor is how do you create an environment where they keep coming back in? Mm-hmm. Because the best prescription in fitness is the pres- pres- prescription that makes them come back and do it again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, we get hung up on what's the perfect program, mm-hmm. you know, exercise selection. And, you know, it needs to be so advanced and this and that. But at the end of the day, if if I design the perfect program program for you and you do it twice a month, yeah, and I create a suboptimal program and you do it 12 times a month, it's not even going to be close, right? Yeah. Um, the suboptimal program is going to work 
really well. Yeah. So, you know, I think where we might stand out a little bit is actually how we combine the recovery side. Because mm-hmm. our physical therapists and chiropractors uh, are trained to look at a golf swing mm-hmm. and understand the biomechanics. And we don't believe in, um, you know, TPI pioneered this space, right? Yeah. And we ha- we have, a, I mean, I don't even know if we would be UGP if, without what Greg and Dave did, honestly. So mm-hmm. all the credit to them, but they talk a lot about staying in your lane. Mm-hmm. And you can probably hear on this podcast, like I'm talking about golf coaching. I'm not a golf coach yeah. by, by training, but uh, we believe that you need to be able to pass, go beyond your boundaries to become a great, you know, a uh, great, great coach. Mm-hmm. And so the physical therapist will be in the bay yeah. and look at the swing yeah. and really understanding, like if the wrist is hurting, they have to understand what's going on biomechanically in order to treat it. Yeah. Whereas, you know, maybe a regular PT will like just assess the, the body. Yeah. Right. And they'll like, Oh, this is my, our go-to treatment program for a wrist, wrist pain. Right. And so, not only that, but then we take it a step further and we use fitness and recovery for performance. Yeah. So we'll take a look at your feet and we might see, okay, the, the flat fee is causing your back pain. Yeah. But it's also limiting your performance in this way. Yeah. And I think that's when you have the holistic approach like that and you communicate with the coach a lot, you can move along much faster. Yeah. And you can get big strides. So it's a long answer, but it's, you know, w- there's a lot of different ways to create hip mobility. Yeah. And they're not, there's no really like superior way. Yeah. Nothing what we're doing is like, oh my God, the UGP guys, the exercises they do are so like groundbreaking, uh, you know, but we assess thoroughly. We really look at the whole system. Yeah. Instead of looking like, okay, okay, hip mobility is tight. Let's fix it. Yeah. But we've got to then talk to the coach and say, hey, this is what we're seeing. What are you seeing? Yeah. And you might say, well, actually, I don't want this to move. I want this to move instead. And then we have to, uh, you know, approach it in a different way. Yeah. I've, I've worked with a couple of the, just on the golf side. Um, so like Lipsky is a good example. So yeah. like Lipsky is very much like me, right? You, you've been around him enough to know like, okay, very smart guy, very smart guy. And I didn't say I was smart, but I said at least <laughs> think a little bit. But loves the golf swing. Right. So, and it's interesting cause like on the fitness side and then, you know, Ryan's hanging around. Yeah. And, um, man, we go down the rabbit hole of like, you know, let's say like, you know, internal rotation on the right femur head, like how's that being produced and what's the ground force for it? And then his mechanics and his like movement were subjective to not allowing him to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. so like, and it's very interesting because that's the part that I really like, like the old prescription would be, well, he just can't squat. It's like, okay, like, great. Like I know 99.9% of the population can't squat either. Yeah. <laughs> like, but that's not good enough. Right. Yeah. So like, Oh, well it's because like, you know, this part of his hip doesn't move appropriately. So here's the protocol. Yeah. And it was interesting, like Ryan did some activation stuff with him and it was actually through his feet on the ground. 
and it was like, boom, access. Yeah. Like he was able to rotate. Yeah. And I, I, I think that not to be long winded here, so I'll keep it short. I think that's, what's really cool about where we're at now is like the ability to talk to somebody who's an expert in fitness, um, and then have relatability to the golf swing is like paramount. It's not, it's yeah. not so like, Oh, he's just not strong enough. Yeah. And we're learning. I think we're just trying to be as vulnerable as possible. And like, we don't know everything, but we're, we're going to um, make mistakes and fail and then try again. And going back to, to Bo and Marcus who, who, who trains him um, together with Ryan, like, what Marcus does is so underappreciated, I think, because he also figures out like what gets Bo going. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Again, yeah. how what what is going to make him come back? Yeah, because Bo is not someone that loves working out. So no. Okay, well then, uh, you know, Marcus played baseball. Bo is a big baseball fan. They talk yeah. about the Dodgers. Like the art of coaching is so much more than just talking about what you're trying to do. Right. It's about creating a relationship that's professional. Yeah, that's productive. And so that was a big piece for Bo. It's like, I really like the experience. Yeah. You well, know? the one thing that was that was an issue to me is that, and this is no knock against you guys, but he stopped bringing donuts to, to lessons. <laughs> and I'm like, Bo, we could step up the donuts a little bit. <laughs> um, he, he's into coffee now. He's a big coffee, coffee. Much, yeah. much better. Yeah. <laughs> And it's the same with, you know, Lilia Vu, who, you know, we started with in 2019 and she was considering quitting the game. She just lost her card uh, and was on Epson. And um, three and a half years later, she's world number one. And so it's, um, you know, and, and if you ask like, okay, wh- wh- you know, what, what, how did that like happen? And, and you know, I, I'm not sure we can take so much credit. Um, uh but Marcus did an incredible job, um, and Mike did an incredible job. But we're not doing anything that I mean. It's all online. You can all do it, yeah. right? Like it's just and, a consistency. Yeah, and yeah. and then and then how do you put it all together? Is I think the hard part because, you know, why isn't there more locate more businesses like UGP? You put a team together, they work together. Well, it's proven to be pretty hard to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've just made more mistakes than anyone else, and we've kept going. Like, we're yeah. crazy enough to just keep going. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, uh, Lilia has – that's a whole other story, but she made a lot of, the like, incredible strides herself mentally and changed her uh, relationship with the game. Mm-hmm. Um, the fitness, obviously, was was part of it. But, but, yeah, to answer your question, I think where we're going on the fitness side, it, it is – um, important to remember those basics, like mm-hmm. what's going to get them going, what's going to make them come back, what's going to make them create a good relationship with 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 movement and liking it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when it, if we're going to look at more of a detailed approach, that's I think is going to be you're going to see more and more of is really what what Ryan has uh, studied a lot is stacking the joints properly from the feet to the neck Mm -hmm. because if the joints aren't stacked on top of each other in alignment they will not move efficiently you mean me (laughs) 
That's what you're just saying. Yeah. <laughs> That's why you brought that up. No, no I, 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 haven't, I haven't seen you move yet. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. So this is like Ryan's big thing, man. I mean, we uh, I ask him all the time. So like I have a kind of a crappy weightlifting background because I like to work out. And yeah. so like over COVID, I just blew up, like just lift, lift. It was like five by five, you know, yeah. Mark Ripito stuff. Heavy. Yeah. And you know it, okay, cool. Like you linearly are strong, but yeah. you feel terrible. Yeah. You can't move. And, um, but you're strong, like you can yeah. pick stuff up and, and it ended up hurting myself because of maybe I need to learn the hard way. Cause I can move now better, but like my yeah. low back doesn't hurt anymore. And yeah, my right QL is tight. And, but like, if you looked at my glutes are not the same size. Mm. My right arch is not good. My right toes not good. Yeah. Um, so how I stand isn't good. And then my gait isn't good. And <laughs> so like, sounds like a bunch of stuff isn't good, but yeah. in reality, it's kind of because it wasn't good before. Yeah. And then you're adding load to correct. Yeah. yeah. And so the fix isn't, and I had this conversation with another teaching pro the other day, I won't name names, but he's a good friend of mine Yeah, and a smart guy. But like the fix wasn't make my squat better because my squat was fine. Yeah. The fix was do the little details consistently yeah. so that the squat could be okay. Yeah. Um, because you're going to break down at some point, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And I think, um, so an example would, would this about this would be, you know, the feed is is everything because it's how we communicate with the ground. It's how we create force. Mm -hmm. That's and it, that's where it all starts, and then it goes up the chain. And so, you know, in fitness, if we if we neglect that and we just look, okay, you got a tight T spine or you got tight hips, we got to just get that you know better. But if you have flat feet and you can't supinate your your feet. It doesn't matter how much we work on hip mobility. Mm -hmm. Like you're just not going to be able to turn because you're stuck. You're basically, it's like a wall into both sides, yeah. the inter internal rotation of the hip. So I think you, you're, you're going to see that more and more. It's a, it's a whole world of, of, you know, complexity yeah. because the human system is so, um, sophisticated yeah. and, um, there's all, I mean, there's like 30 something bones in the, in the foot. <laughs> yeah. And so to try and, and, and they're hard to move and hard to right. uh, manipulate. So, but yeah, I think that's where it's probably going to go. I, I think in terms of 3d movement, it's, it's, it's been good for a while. Like people are doing good workouts. People are working in all three planes. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, not too long ago, it was primarily the sagittal plane. And we know in the golf swing, we move laterally and rotationally more than we do move up and down yeah so we've yeah. got to train in, in 3d yeah and um because we live life in 3d yeah um, yeah that's a big one because that's why i didn't feel good like okay i can bench and squat and deadlift and cool yeah. like <laughs> yeah how come i can't walk <laughs> there's a lot of benefit to that and and stressing the system in a in a big way but complementing it with everything else is key. So to finish up, uh, because we're just talking about 3D, you know, 3D might be 
the next kind of we've had 3D for a while, but it's more accessible now through Sportsbox mm-hmm. and yeah. software that's able to model 3D uh, yeah. from a from 2D video essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like this is the is this next Trackman type of moment or not? Really? Yeah, I think so. I'm pretty involved with Sportsbox. I think uh, so. Phil Jihei and Paul and and that group. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because they really um, look at it from two different ways. So the, obviously like the argument is about accuracy. Okay. But you got to remember, like I'm not doing research. Yeah. Like I'm not a research guy. So um, if we're going to do research, then you're throwing the straps on essentially you're doing yeah. AMM. Yeah. Um, but man, it's pretty dang close. Mm-hmm. It's close enough. Yeah. And what's really cool is I can rip through eight lessons and get all of them captured. Yeah. All of them to understand what they need to do and off and running. Yeah. And it's getting better. Of course. That, that's just what's cool. Yeah. So um, I think it is kind of the brave new world. And I know like there's other systems that are trying to catch on to, to what they've done. But um, it, it's really interesting to watch where we're going because now that 2D video isn't as important anymore. Yeah. It's not as relatable as the 3, 3D avatar is. Yeah. And then obviously the numbers. Like you can actually say, oh, yeah, you moved two inches right. We need to, you know, hitting, yeah. hitting a nine or we need to negate that a little bit. What does that feel like? Well, that feels like this. Okay, let's like let's do some movement that makes you push longer. Yeah the other way or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, I try to use both like um, force plates and the 3d cause they kind of complement each other. Yeah. You get the kinetic side and the kinematic side of things. Yeah. Um, which kind of fulfills the picture better for them. Um, and I mean, we can get into the argument of, you know, you know, chicken or the egg, but like in, in, in reality, it's like, Oh, how do I make this movement change better? Well, the better you get at force production, the easier that all gets. Yeah. Not minimization of it. Yeah. Um, because minimization is, it's hard to feel. Like if you maximize things, it's easier to feel. Yeah. Um, that kind of jumped me into the kind of long drive space. It's like these guys are maximizing these things. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm cutting it. So they maximize this side. And I'm hooking it. They maximize the other. So they're they're constantly like, doing this yeah but boy it like changes faster because yeah. you feel it quicker yeah um so you're like the volume's totally up and then you can incrementally turn it down mm. over time whether right or wrong it's just anecdotally it seems to work um what's kind of one like big one that you felt like oh because now i can look at 3d in an accessible way what's kind of the main takeaway or a really common thing that you see you know, when coaching is like, Oh, now I can communicate this. Well, for for two ways. So like, I would say for the, for the, the regular player, the amount of side to side movement, Mm. um, for the better player, it's the tilts. Got it. So like, those are just like, just blanketly. Yeah. Um, the, if, if we could like communicate that piece out, it becomes better, Mm. you know? Um, obviously they both matter, but you know, if I was, saying for the amateur player moving you know three inches right is probably not the best thing in the world yeah 
But to a long drive guy like a Justin James who does that anyway and hits it 400 miles, then okay, he recovers that. Doesn't yeah. matter. Um, but for Justin James to make contact, if his hips and shoulders are doing this, swing direction is going to go everywhere. Mm. So mm. being able to keep that plus or minus a degree or two is, you know, I think good because you can see the consistency of it too. Yeah. That's super interesting. Yeah. I think, uh, I'm excited to see it and I'm sure we'll have it in the base at UGP soon with, with multiple cameras mm-hmm. and, you know, being able to be, get pretty close. Yeah. Um, cause that's been our issue with 3d is just the calibration of it and the experience. It's just not good. It takes uh, too long. Yeah. Yeah. Um, even with gears, it's just, uh, yeah. you know, you, you, um, again, it, it comes back to what I talked about fitness, like what's going to make them come back and yeah. standing there in a, in a suit and, you know, unless you're a tour player, it's yeah. just not, yeah, it's not worth your time. Yeah. Yeah. We have, um, yeah, the studio version of the sports box is pretty awesome. We have the new cameras and it's a t- dual camera situation, the mm. whole nine, um, you know, and you could just stand there, hit, and it captures you. You don't need to push a button. Wow. Just like, okay, cool. That's great. Hey, it's been uh, 90 minutes. So okay. Like we, awesome. We could probably go a couple more hours, but hopefully it's not the last time we do this. It was I really fun. I appreciate it in the conversation. I've been super insightful. I have more questions for next time. So. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm, I'm happy to do it again. I mean, um, I think it's great to hear a coach like you being – um, humble, you know, uh, around uh, this very complicated game. And, um, you know, cause there's a lot of egos out there and, you know, we, we, we all struggle with the same thing. Yeah. And, um, and so really appreciate your, your insights. I think it was a great, not both for coaches and, and amateurs out there. So I uh, appreciate you coming in anytime, anytime. Absolutely. Absolutely.